and welcome to the Three Guys Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Ben. I'm Dixon. Dixon, don't be sad. It's okay. We've brought back Jay. Say hello, Jay. Dorbies. Okay, he's already <laughs> said hello. It's the best line in the movie. For Halloween, we're actually, it's, it's Halloween now as we record this, so, so happy Halloween, everyone. A little late by the time this comes out, but yeah. We decided to sit down and watch... I, the people are calling it a comedy. I, I don't know. Horror thriller. Horror comedy. It seems to have many names. Horror, but it is. horror I, I fantasy think, with a P-H. With I think the best way to describe this movie is kind of Rocky Horror Picture Show meets Phantom of the Opera, which gives you Phantom of the Paradise. If you've never heard of this film, I'm not surprised. It was released in 1974. Against such films as what was the list we saw? Godfather Part Two, The Man with the Golden Gun, Towering Inferno, Towering Inferno, Chinatown, Boxy Brown, Blazing Saddles, uh, Young Frankenstein, Young Frankenstein. So even in the notion that this is a parody movie, which I think it's supposed to be, it had stiff competition in the seventies and it, a bad day to be released too. It was released Boxing Day, yes, yeah, so which back this, then was a bad day to release a film. The reason why we're watching it is because I had actually not seen it before in its entirety. Or I couldn't remember seeing it. And the reason we bring that up is apparently that's kind of a Winnipeg thing. The film was released in the 70s and it wasn't exactly a success. Not at all. Not at all. It It was was a flop, except in Winnipeg. For whatever reason... Winnipeg kept playing it continuously for several months, and then a year later kept playing it every now and again just for chuckles. Whatever reason, we really liked this movie. So I suppose the question comes in, did Winnipeg catch something that the rest of the world missed, or were we just slightly ahead of the curve in a cult classic? I wonder if there was a bad snowstorm that year. I question that. <laughs> People were locked in, forced to watch it. It might explain well, no, some no, of the but people. Keep in mind, this was the seventies. There was no internet, and everything's associated with the internet. There was no but everybody, VHS. It was beta still. Yeah, but yeah. everybody had heroin or whatever other hard drug you want to use. Which you know they probably used a lot of in the making of that film. But hey, you know. In summing up the movie, just to give you kind of a quick recap, it's basically Phantom of the Opera. Guy writes a musical, gets stolen by. Um, Paul they, Newman. By Paul Newman. An evil record executive. Who was running, as opposed to an opera, a... It was a rock opera. It was, a, But it wasn't like a like a traditional opera. It was a rock opera instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he gets maimed in an injury, uh, starts living in the basement, and starts fantasizing over a girl. Really, the only difference is we've mixed in... We've mixed in, like, Faustian deals with the devil. We've mixed in the picture of Dorian Gray. There's... It's... It's really like someone, like, I want to write a Phantom of the Opera movie, and then saw a bunch of other movies he wanted to make at the same time, and mashed them all together. It does feel like a rock, like rock your character show. Like, there's, it oh, doesn't kind of go that far. But by the last half, you can... No, but... There, when they introduce Beef, you can see <laughs> where the movie gets its influence from very quickly. Because it's like, oh, this isn't subtle. In real life, I've actually met the guy who played Beef. He's very nice. I bet he is. I bet. Yes. So where do you want to start, Dixon? Because this was kind of your idea. Well, I mentioned I had never seen it. You're like, well, we got to watch it. It seemed appropriate. And the thing is, I, I kind of really egged on uh, Dixon with this, too, because it, it was something that no one I've ever seen really review or even talk about. 
I don't hear many people talk about this. It, well, let's so. No. Well, I understand why. To be, I understand. To be honest, really, no one outside the perimeter of Winnipeg has <laughs> much heard of this movie. I told several people today, "Yeah, I'm going to go watch Phantom of the Paradise," and they're like, "What? What? <laughs> Where do you want to go first with this, Dixon?" Yeah, I said the plots. Like, yeah, it's got all those elements in it. It's kind of not going into great detail about that. We like we could talk about the the actors, I guess, the acting and. Because with the plot, you, you, like I said, we've pretty much explained that as much as we're going to be able to. Yeah. We don't yeah. want to spoil a whole lot. Man likes girl. Man becomes monster. Monster likes girl. Winslow Leach is the main character. He is our phantom. Um, William Finley was his name. Uh, although Paul Williams was the singing voice for him. He didn't actually do mm. his own stuff, apparently. Yes. Yeah. I think Paul Williams actually wrote most of the music for this uh, for this movie. Yeah, yeah yes. he seemed to be the only one credited with it. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't want to say anything bad about him, but he's kind of he's kind of crazy before he puts the mask on. Which, by the way, I love this this phantom suit this guy has. It's awesome. It is it, awesome. It's, it's like, amazing. It's I mean, like it's like Tim Burton's penguin mixed with Magneto. Magneto mixed with gold dust. It's it's something <laughs> special that. And as of this, as of recording of this uh, podcast, you can find it on eBay for eighteen hundred dollars. When did we start showing for eBay? William Finley. Finley. William Finley. He's okay. He's not great. No, but this is... he definitely comes off as a big nerd. Yeah, nerd. Rather emotional. He's very obsessed with his song. His vision. He wants it exactly his way. I mean, he threatened a man with a plunger. Yeah, that takes up serious commitment to yeah. threaten a man with a plunder. That, that's you know gonads. But I, I don't know. He's he's kind of he's kind of weird in real life. He, and then, he's 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 better as the Phantom. I think because Maybe he gets to be more um, eccentric, suppose, and it covers up for poor acting when you can be eccentric. Possibly, yeah. Eccentric is a good. Yeah, he's like, like I don't say he's bad. He's just not. Well, he's, he's not bad. He's just not spectacular. I guess. Well, who would you say steals the show? Then is uh, it mm. is it beef? Or is it Paul Williams a Swan? Paul Williams. Paul Williams yeah, a Swan. Williams. He, he's the driving force of this whole film. He well, is he's the antagonist. He gets yeah. to be that yeah. that guy. But he comes off as that creepy, evil, semi-demonic record executive. Like we've all really heard Paul well. Williams. We've all heard Paul Williams' voice. Like he, yeah, he play, Like he's he sounds like the kind of character. Like what he sounds like is what he kind of plays in this movie. He just sounds like a prick, like an evil. Yeah, like an eagle. An like evil, very, calm-headed ass like very mercurial well, uh, in his business dealings plans things out yeah uh, and, and he did a wonderful job when he did his appearance on the Muppet show yeah <laughs> never saw but that. he's a really good villain um he's very easy to hate because he's he's every slimy record executive you've ever thought of in the 70s yeah. Phoenix yeah in the 70s the, uh, the female lead she's Jessica Harper she's her name not bad I think the, her, her character's written kind of a little over the place. Her like motivations change rather quickly. Yeah, she well, goes from be being a uh, she goes from a character who's like, oh, they well, I'm auditioning for this part. Oh, it's one of these you know casting couch situations. Uh, no, I'm not doing that. And no, I don't. Want, I want. To, I'm an actual singer, not just. I want to sing for my part, not sleep for it, which is admirable. It really is. And then she goes back to the same company several months or years later to audition again. 
I don't know about you, but if they if that was the situation the first time, I have no reason to suspect it would not be the situation and the second time. I don't know. It mm-hmm. just seems like her character turns around really quick on her motivations. She wants to be famous. And it's not like it's unnatural, necessarily. It's just there's not a lot of uh, time spent on her, really. No, there is no development in her character, really. She I guess is... she liked the lights, you know, like the first time she performs, like everyone's watching her. And... Well, she got the rush from singing in front of the crowd, right? And then, and then she wants more, she wants more, she wants more. Yeah, and then... More, more, more! Also the drugs and... Well, then the drugs. Yeah. Then you, the get drugs. The hi- you get the high of the people, then you get the high of the drugs, and then you need both, and... And then you got the 70s. But yeah. it, it's just not really, like... We just take that for... We just we can just say that, but it's not like it's really, like, fully developed in the film. No. It's just... I, I mean, she had a secondary role to begin it's with. It's very secondary, the, the character of Phoenix, yeah. really. They just needed someone who could sing in her scenes. Yeah. And That's you know why what? they had her. And you know what? She's not bad. Um, near, like, as far as the singing goes. Yeah, she does some, she does some pretty good music with numbers. Oh, it's also a musical. I think <laughs> we kind of... Well, it's not for the opera, but... Really? Fat of the Opera oh. is primarily a musical. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. You know, I've never seen it. <laughs> you just sort of, if you you've watched, just watch Fat of the Paradise, you kind of yeah. have the same. So the Care Bear version. Yeah. So that's probably, it's pretty close. <laughs> Grumpy I was s- the Phantom. I'd buy that. Uh, uh, I yeah. saw the one with Robert England that came out in. Actually, it would be around this time, somewhere in the seventies, I think. Yeah. Maybe eighties. Beef. Um, then there's the character of Beef, who, although on screen for not very long, is quite. Enthralling. He's quite. He has a great. You pay attention to him. He, 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 yeah. He commands your attention. He has a great singing voice too. But uh, depending I, on what no, he no, did. In in the previous scenes, that's the joke. Yeah. During his number, he actually it's actually a very entertaining number. Well, yeah. Oh yeah. When he actually got around to what actually he, singing later on. Well, it's because he was singing stuff that was out of his notes. Like that's yeah. So, some yeah. people, you can't do that sometimes. I mean, changed it, it, that's kind of the, the, the joke and the issue, right? And there's the whole, you know, things that lead up to terrible things happening because Swan said, "Make it your own, baby." Yeah, because yeah. it was the seventies. It was the seventies. The makeup on him is the costumes he has. Jesus, he he some, his hair is something. His hair is something special. Uh, but he's basically that first character where you're like Rocky Horror because. The only other character that's really of note is uh, the second in command oh, the, for uh, the muscle, Swan, the sleazy Arnold, manager Arnold Philbin. As a uh, Philbin, what was his that, name? That, that's his name. Philbin, yeah, yeah Philbin. Arnold. And he's kind of. I like him because he kind of brings everything back to. Yeah, he's like the most down to earth out of all. Of well, them. I don't no, 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 almost not down to earth. Almost, he he's nails, not a down to earth character. He nails, no, but he nails his character archetype. Perfectly, he's the he, thug. He is the sleazy manager, compared to like the like Swan, who's so like out there and yeah, kind of like that uh, eccentric to the extreme, something like that. I yeah. want to say has that cult persona, kind of like a uh, Andy Warhol kind of thing going on. Yeah, I, I got a little. Kind of even looks too, like Andy yeah. Warhol. Yeah, a little bit. There's not a big cast in this movie, really. No, well, they kind of recycle a little. Quite the, a few of the background characters. Looking at the actual budget, and I don't know if it's adjusted for inflation, but it was only one point three million. So you can understand. Well, that was spent on uh, hairspray. Yes, hairspray costumes. <laughs> costumes too. Yeah. Uh, the design of this movie. I guess we could talk about the design of like the sets and the costumes. I think visually, the music, I think the music's more prevalent, really, because it's a musical. 
Well, I want to talk about that first, sure. It's got a lot of great musical numbers in it. it nothing as memorable as stuff from, say, Rocky Horror Picture Show. You'll never really, I don't think you'll hum anything out of this one, but it's all originally written, and it's all pretty good. Like, if, I, if, if I'm being honest, I could see why this soundtrack went gold in Winnipeg in the 70s. It's, it's catchy. Fairly really eclectic. Consider, and they're trying to emulate other bands, too. Like, Yeah, like they have an emulation of, like, what, the Beach Boys and... 50s, uh, they called it Nostalgia Rock. Yeah, it, it was the Nostalgia Rock era, so it's like, you know, they're going back to the slick back hair, the leather jackets, greasers. Yeah. yeah. And then, I love that band's name, though, the Juicy Fruits. Juicy Fruits, yeah. I'm surprised there's never been a band with that name. I, eh, I'm sure somebody's still yeah. with it. And then they go into some later... You know, 70s Kiss style. Well, I wouldn't even see them say Kiss style, but some later, you know, uh, the, the, the big show. The big show rock. Big, like, yeah. they got the makeup, they got the costumes, they got special effects. So, kind of like Kiss. Yeah, a little bit. You know. Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, Kiss on yeah. a shoestring budget. Yeah. Yeah, yeah basically. Uh, it's very. It's. The music does have one problem, though, is that some of the musical numbers do go too long, which is weird because that's. When you're going into a musical, you kind of expect that, but at the same time, it's like, oh, this musical number's still going. We get it. Uh, this happens a lot to Phoenix. Poor timing in the in the number. Yeah, there's. A... I think that's a lot of it. Poor timing in the numbers. Like you can listen to it as a song, but in the movie, it's trying to like it's trying it's trying to move the plot along, and it doesn't take long for you to understand. Yeah. yeah. What the song's trying to get across, and, and because it's the budget, you know they can't. Wow, you with some really crazy stuff necessarily during all of these uh, musical numbers. So some of them, like Beef Number, you're entertained watching the whole thing. Yeah. Phoenix is, even though it might be a better sung song, there's not a lot going on. So visually, no, you kind of get bored. Wasn't anything spectacular. And the other thing I found there that it was sometimes the songs were a little off from the feel. They were thematically different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like it's a really dark, serious thing, and then the song is just. It's it's not very dark. It's I don't want to say of, it's folky, but it's is it kind of like singing singing happy happy joy joy at a funeral? Not not that, <laughs> not that bad, but this isn't the Planet of the Apes uh, xylophone music, but <laughs> yeah. but it is very not all of the music's like that. But no, there was a couple of them like that. Yeah, that it, is, it feels really out of place. The guy's character was writing this opera rock. He was writing a rock opera. A rock yeah. opera. About you know the, like about Foss, you know, Foss deals with the devil, and he doesn't see any of this coming. It's like just because you like the story doesn't mean you actually take away anything from it. I guess, but <laughs> you don't have any. You can't use the information about it. That's that's not. But it, it's just it's, a, it's amazing how how much he misses it. You know what I mean? Oh, he doesn't see the irony in this situation. I guess, well, guess we'll go to sets next. Sets and costumes, because oh boy, just the visuals of this movie. Yeah, there's some pretty. I love your reaction with the costumes. Well, we'll get to we'll do the sets first, then the costumes. Well, it's the same. It's all the same. Right. It falls kind of into the same. Okay. So first of all, the theater. I thought because uh, the majority of the movie takes place at the Paradise Theater. Yeah, which it seems like a fun place to hang out. It was yeah. filmed on location at the Majestic Theater in Dallas, Texas. There you go. I mean, it seems like a really a nice place to shoot a movie because mm-hmm. the majority of the movie takes place in those walls. And not the evil Death Star style office, which is just like obviously a hallway. Yeah, it, it's, but it's it's the most hilariously evil office you've ever seen. It's 
it's another like, wow, could this guy be any more of the devil? With black walls, silver floors, mirrors all over the place. It, it does look the like the egotistical from... doors that were sized just for him and nobody else. I like the uh, receptionist Rolodex that was like a. It wasn't even really a Rolodex. It was like a was drawer. It, it was a drawer with giant papers for all these people. And it's just like, oh, I'll see this guy. I'll see this guy. Never seeing this guy. Yeah. And the sub and the very subtle alarm. Beep, beep, beep. And these two roadies <laughs> that are prevalent throughout the whole film. Oh yeah, the the, the two uh, big shaved Biker gorillas. roadies. Yeah. yeah, shaved gorillas for roadies. Then there's a personal favorite of mine, the command center almost said, uh, where Winslow uh, records his uh, his music. Oh yes, in in, in the uh, the hyperbaric chamber, if you will. As it turns out, that was a real room. Really? Yep. It's a real life recording studio, or at least it was, known as the record plant. Hmm. Uh, the walls were covered up with knobs and stuff to make it look different, but that kind of setup actually exists. That's, that's someone's recording studio. Well, you know what? It was the 70s, and if you watch the movie, you'll see Swan working this giant board of... this giant soundboard. It is literally huge. It's got to be like six feet wide with tons of knobs, plus multiple walls of switches and yeah. plugs. Yeah. And... You need to see the record press, like the, the, the record factory. Oh. Actually, as it turns <laughs> out... That because okay now I'm only going with what I know of the internet so that might not be true. Okay. Apparently that is that was a real record press, slightly modified, but that's the same basic idea. Mm. Apparently uh, the actor did in fact almost get crushed by it. Oh, nice, Jesus! And he was shoestring on... budget. They're like, well, is this the real thing? It's just like Simpsons. It's like, well, he's a real <laughs> nuclear power plant. Well, to be honest, I don't know how I would feel about my children's Taylor Wings game being made by prisoners. I wonder if that's actually true. I yeah, imagine they go, to, it is. they go to Sing Sing, ha ha. Ha ha ha, Sing Sing. Yeah. Musical yeah. movie. Um, Bad pun, but... But then there's the uh, um, the, the costumes. Okay, it's the 70s. Those aren't really costumes at that point, but they, they're kind of funny to look back at, oh, look what look what my dad used to wear. Antler belt. The antler belts, which, okay, yeah. I don't think anybody wore except for beef, because no one can make that work but the beef. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's so cool he gets the in front of his name. He's the beef. The beef. But I've already kind of mentioned it. I love the Phantom's outfit. Yeah. This leather strap thing, the the bird headpiece, and the often changing cape. His co- he had a collection of capes. He had, he had, like Ben said earlier, he had capes for going out, he had capes for skulking around the theater, he had capes for sabotage. <laughs> I guess they they locked him in the recording rooms. I don't know where he kept the change of clothes. But yeah. whatever. They're capes you hang up on the. To be fair, you got everything from you got everything from the Paradise's wardrobe. wardrobe. I wouldn't be surprised if stuff did change in between seasons. We just didn't know. To be fair, something he, he has that he can actually accessorize with. He kind of keeps his helmet on until the very end of the movie. Yeah. In a classy move by the film, they don't give that away. They don't give that away. We do uh, know it's horribly deformed. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's that's how the story works. Uh, but the actual makeup effects for the few times they do use that are they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. The, Not bad the, for the day. The blood isn't terrible, actually. It, it's hyper the, real the, looking. The blood looks like paint, but its consistency is actually fairly. It, I like the, I like its consistency. of The blood. It, it's very consistent. Yeah, but it's very it, like, I just think like, it like how like, like liquid it is. Yeah, I All actually right. like that. There are a few continuity errors with the makeup. I mean, in some scenes, you'll see that. You get a little glance of how the deformation under around his chin under the helmet. In other scenes, there's nothing. 
Yeah. Uh, so once he, he, he like he has makeup around his eye and then the eyeliner, the Batman look, and then yeah, it's, it's gone. So there's eyeliner, so there isn't it. It's but what can I say? I mean, they were probably all blitzed out on something. Yeah. It's the seventies. It's, it's like an excuse. You can't just keep saying that. But it's, it's a great excuse, though. It's the seventies. It's it's not an excuse that that happened all the time, though. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's one of those things. There's small things, admittedly, but for the continuity addicts out there, they'll probably notice them. Oh like, yeah, they'll be. You can you watch this movie enough times, you'll pick out everything. Like yeah. the scene where the film crew is actually in the in the shot. <laughs> That's well, how that you, happens to a lot of movies, though. That yeah. does. I also like how a, uh, the swans. Uh, he's recording everything in his studio, and the cameras he's supposedly using—they look incredibly fake. All <laughs> oh, those cardboard—they look the like cardboard heads. with a little bit of glass in it, just to make <laughs> it look real. I just thought—it's—it's it's funny to me. Love it, so we, I guess we could say Fan of Paradise was doing Big Brother before Big Brother. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Not really, but. Well, he filmed everything for his own personal enjoyment later. Yeah. And for other reasons, but... Yeah. That that ventures into spoiler territory, so we won't talk about it. Yeah. He, he records everything. That's ultimately all you need to know. I guess we'll go into our, into our ratings. Um, ratings! Who wants to go first? Ah, oh, what the hell? I'll go first. Ooh, okay. Well, I'm always short of words, so everyone else can describe. Yeah. But, you know, I can... Though thoroughly enjoy... Enjoying this, I... Give it a six, and once again, you know, for probably a lot of people, that's going to be like ultra high. But you know what? I, I'd say a lot of people could enjoy this if they do like the parody esque seventy stuff, which kind of made a real small area for people to enjoy. But there's a niche crowd for it. Yeah, there's an incredibly niche crowd for it. It's called Winnipeg. Yeah, and a small handful of musical celebrities like Daft Punk. Yeah. But it's very understandable why it's a cult classic. It's it's nothing super fantastic. It's nothing super memorable. You know, the pacing can be weird sometimes. Not just because of the musical, but sometimes it just seems to race so incredibly fast to get to a point. Then it'll just stop and crawl for a bit. And then it'll go back into a normal pacing. That's what it just seemed to me. But, I, can, I can see that. Yeah. But other than that, like... You know, you, you do get, like, the main character's feel. You know, he, he is a very obsessive person. And, you know, you, you see that, and you get the characters basically through. But, but you would rate it the six. Yeah, I mean, six is is there, yeah. Okay. It was enjoyable for me. I can easily watch it. Hell, I'm kind of looking for an actual copy of this. <clears throat> I can't actually find one. I mean, I guess I got to order it online, but... So, seeing as you were alive in the 70s... Yeah, well... <laughs> uh, basically, I've watched this movie, not necessarily by choice, at least eight times now. Does that mean you've watched it this time by choice, or just... Well, this like... time by choice. Not necessarily by choice. Uh, okay. The other seven times was my buddy had no cable and just put the thing on, on repeat. <laughs> so, yeah, you just go over to his house because it's on. <laughs> um, I like the music. I might actually try and track down the soundtrack. <laughs> I, I enjoy the movie. This is—it's not something you want to watch all the time. It, it's something you—it's one of those curiosos that you have on on your movie shelf and you plug it in every now and then just to have a good old laugh. So myself, I mean, Rotten Rotten Tomatoes gave it a ninety-five. Really? 
It's actually, yeah, they actually got it, gave it a 95% yeah, well, that, on Rotten That Tomatoes. makes sense. I understand why that would happen with an older movie. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because, but, you know, four people said it was great, one said it wasn't. I mean, there you go. There's 95% people who didn't <laughs> People who didn't like it back in the 70s aren't the ones reviewing it on, on Rotten, Rotten Tomatoes. Tomato. People who did like it might be the ones that do review it on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, so yeah. it's a little Older bias. movies I, are going to be heavily skewed. I would give this movie a 7. Okay. Solid. A solid, solid, solid seven. Solid seven. Ah, uh, okay. I'll go next then. As it turns out, in watching this film, I had seen pieces of it. I realized uh, because there are certain there's certain scenes and imagery that really clicked. Um, so I'm sorry I lied to y'all. I have seen it. I didn't remember it, but I have seen it. It's not a good sign. Oh, completely. not really. No, not when you sit and think about it. It's like it's okay. A movie I'd... from the seventies. That's rarely ever shown on TV. I don't know how I saw it. I'm still trying to figure that out. I like the music. Again, it's not memorable, as I mentioned earlier. But it's not bad. It's it's decently acted, but it's not amazing. It's, in fact, a little crazy after a while. But that kind of helps things, I think. Um, it is. Like, when, when spoilers and spoilers and spoilers happen, there's that great costume design. Like, I will forever love Goldust Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> That might be a Halloween costume next year to see if anybody gets it. But going back to the, to rating it, did Winnipeg miss out on something? I don't know. What happened in the 70s? Like, There's something in the water. <laughs> it's a cult classic. Fine. I don't think it was as great as it's labeled out to be by that cult. That's just the notion of you hear something's very great, though, and when you actually see it, it doesn't live up to the expectations. It can't. Because every time I mention this thing to someone in the last little while, it kind of prepped for the movie... It's like, oh, I've seen it. I love that movie. Or, oh, I love the Juicy Fruits, which I didn't understand until I'd seen the movie. <laughs> um, stuff like that. I don't think it lives up to the cult expectation that fans have. Again, it's very skewed. But that doesn't mean it's horrible. It's a fun little distraction you could probably make a fun drinking game with or just sit around with your friends and bullshit about it. So, but if I'm judging it objectively as a movie, I'd rather just watch any of the really good or even half-passable Phantom of the Opera movies than Phantom of the Paradise again. Because Phantom of the Paradise gets really weird towards the end when I start introducing the other movies it's, it's taking from. Like, this is not just Phantom of the Opera. So on that notion, I gotta give it a four. Like, it's, it's, it's fine once in a while, but I would never watch this alone. I'd watch this with a group of friends, like I did now, to have a laugh at it. How about you, Dixon? What did you think? No, I wish it was had been crazier. This movie wasn't as crazy as I thought it was going to be. Have you seen it before? No? I've seen parts of it at the uh, same place Jay saw it. Okay. It was, like I said, it was on for like But just this is the first time I've seen it in its entirety. And, I mean, if it had the budget, I'm sure it would have been even crazier. Hmm. But it's kind of not... It would have been Rocky Horror crazier the budget for enough. It. Like, it's actually... It takes a long time with Swan and a lot of those elements, and it's actually kind of boring for a lot of it. Like, the ending, it starts, I kind of think it starts to get exciting, but it's rushing by that point through all these things. By the time they introduce the thing, they kind of resolve it once they introduce some of the other elements of it. It's actually kind of like... The kind of supernatural elements to work Yeah, like, the it's, film. it's not really well thought out. Like, the way they introduce it, it's just like, oh, well, we can just, like, he takes care of it, like, three seconds later. It's like, it's well, like, that's it's... not... They do some. They do something new with it, but it's still not. They basically just. Need, it seems like to me like when writing it, they just needed something there to extend the running time because the film couldn't end there. 
despite the fact... How long? I don't know how long this film was, but it felt long, and it's because of the numbers, and... Like, quick. did you have to spend that much time in prison? Like, even though we didn't spend much time there at all, did they have to spend that much time at all in it? I don't get why they took his teeth. That doesn't... I don't get that. That was just cruelty in prisons, which I'm sure might no, be No, but it joke. was only... It was because of Swan. Like, yeah, he wanted... He was being... Why not just take his tongue? I don't know. There's just parts of me I don't get. I, but Paul Newman... And Beef are, like, I think the best parts of this movie. Yep. Although Beef, far. I think, is a little too much at times. Like, he, maybe it's just the hair. I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't take that hair. I really liked Paul Newman. Like, he's like, he's that classic Paul Newman character that's really slimy and but suave at the same time. You can yeah. see why he's got this cult of, about him. I don't know. I don't mind it. I'd say five. What did you think of the music? It was okay. I don't know. Fair enough. It, it's... Like, a couple songs were better than others. Like, I liked the beef number, and I liked, uh... Even some of the Juicy Fruit stuff was actually not bad. Like, I, but but I, don't, song, I don't mind Beach Boys songs, actually. That, that opener was a good tune. Yeah. yeah it was. Yeah. Uh, so... I, kudos to the backup singers, actually. But I'd say a five. Like, it's good, but... I'm not even talking about, like, it's reputation or cult to it. I'm just saying, eh, it's five. It's okay. Yeah. It's passable. Is, it, well, this, is this even a good Halloween watch? This not is really. not. It's not a horror movie. It's not a horror movie. It's a but it's a comedic musical. A, we seem to do more cult films around Halloween than anything else. Maybe not the spookiest movie, but no, no. But to be fair, like if you don't have a strong stomach, uh, Winslow's face is actually kind of gross. Yeah, some of the effects are pretty gross. And I remember as a kid, you know, seeing his practical face effects, man. put into this into the press, there was kind of horrifying. Yeah, gotta love practical effects, man. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I think this will be the three guys podcast signing out. Not sure when we'll be back, but we will see you guys next time. Have a good night, folks. Have a good one. Bye. Mm, no, I can sing my music.